Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Welcome back, everyone. We are here again with a episode about the relationships of the Cosmere. Yeah, thanks for bearing with us last week through our technical difficulties. We have sorted everything out. Super excited to be here. I feel like I could do a podcast just on how stupid my sound system is. (laughs) But now it's all better. We won't waste your time on that. I will just say... Last week, we had a great response to our first episode in the series about the relationships of the Cosmere. And for this week, we are going to be looking at parental slash mentorship relationships. Next week, we're looking at the friendships, maybe rivals. We love the response from last week. We have some things to talk about that were suggested by fans and would love if you reached out on the Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or email or that's all. We don't have snail mail, but maybe one day soon. Best way I think we should dive into this is just by saying hashtag all spoilers all the time. We talk about everything top to bottom, no limits, no holds bar. Here we go. What is our first parental relationship, Brooke? Number one, and kind of number one and a half, Dalinar and both of his sons, Adolin and Renarin. What a fantastic relationship. Obviously, we're focusing on a lot of the bigger or the relationships that get a lot of screen time. And throughout Stormlight Archive, the relationship between Dalinar and his sons is like one of the main emphasis of Dalinar's story. Uh, You could see it as his kind of progression through the books is we're kind of introduced to the military and Dalinar and his way of kings with a lot of Adolin play and like his back and forth with Adolin and their relationship. But then by the time we get to Oathbringer, we're getting a lot of the backstory and the history of their family and obviously his previous marriage with Evie, Evie, how are we saying it? Evie. Okay. With Evie, um, and I feel like Renarin gets more and more play in Oathbringer, but both relationships are super interesting, and we're just going to kind of try to take them one at a time because we think they represent some different aspects. Definitely not the same relationship with both of his sons. Yeah, he definitely has very different relationships with his two sons. With Adolin, In some ways, they have a lot more in common because they are both in the military. They fight side by side. So even through the things that they disagree on or the ways that they differ, they kind of always have that, you know, binding them together, something that they share, that they can um, participate in together. I think that this is one of the most interesting aspects of Adolin and Dalinar's relationship is that, yes, they are father and son, and yes, that's important, but they have this military relationship that we could hear talked about, you know, in any war or any generation that was like consumed by a big war. They'll always talk about those relationships that they forged in war and the bonds for life. And that goes all the way back to like the Greeks and the Romans and and before. Just humans have always been talking about how strong relationships are built in the military. And then when you think about Adolin and Dalinar's fighting style, they literally run into battle 
at the front of their armies, like leap across chasms and fight side by side. Like they are as linked as any two characters we've seen when it comes, they almost fight like Parshendi. Now that I'm like thinking about this episode. and Yeah, like a war pair. Yes, exactly. Like they are in sync so much on the field of battle that it really does just build up the emotional emphasis when, you know, you have moments of uh, danger or, or threats to Aelin. I, I think of the first moment with the great shell uh, when the hunt goes awry. And there is so many different moments in this relationship that you could just say, this is cool without the aspect of being father and son. But then they are father and son. And you realize that Adolin wanted this type of relationship with his father from the very beginning. Like he was dressing... But- It does go deeper and it's like more complicated than that. I feel like it's easy to characterize this relationship as like, well, they're both soldiers and like they have so much in common, they fight together. But I think especially in Oathbringer, but with Adolin, we see a little bit more of his relationship. So throughout the series as well, you see the ways that they are very different and like the ways that he disagrees with a lot of his father's like thoughts and philosophies and that sort of complex nature of their relationship yeah it's very complex because definitely adolin had this you know moment in the flashbacks when he's dressing like a soldier as a little boy and he like wants to impress his father and that's all very like normal and makes sense uh, but he does become his own man so let's talk about some of those differences between the two men because it's those differences that i think actually makes the relationship mm-hmm. so powerful and and kind of potent Yeah, because if you dig a little deeper, I mean, even in their military sort of roles, right? Adolin is a duelist and Dalinar is a fighter. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Dalinar is much more like he's been in more battles than Adolin. He has that bloodlust and like battle thirst kind of thing. Whereas Adolin is a fantastic fighter, but. His style is, you know, maybe a little bit more elegant than Dalinar's. And I think that that also comes into play with their philosophy on leadership generally, where Dalinar is often very blunt and like, you should do this because it's my order or it's the way of kings. You should uh, behave this way because this is what soldiers do. Always have your suit clean, press. Adolin introduces, not in a way of like dismissing his father, but in a way of being honestly different and having a different view like he is always making personal connections to his soldier he like goes out uh drinking and like socializing with his soldiers and he has a much closer and more like intimate bond and he feels that that is a better way to like practice and and to lead uh and it also comes back to the idea that adolin is a character of mixed ethnicities his mother is from a different part of rashar and uh, with a different background her people are like said to have fair skin and blonde hair and that gives adolin his blonde hair speckled with black yeah he has like black streaks in his hair and then they also have really different cultures the alethi are known within rashar for kind of being the most severe um non-emotional culture and 
the culture that Evie comes from is quite emotional, especially compared to the Saphir Alethi. And I think it's really interesting that we kind of get more insight into that in Oathbringer and hear like Dalinar talking about how his son has that sort of warm, more emotional personality like his mother. Um, and I think we do see that even in like the grown up, the grown up Adolin. He is much more relaxed than his father and a lot of the Alethi. And he's much more affectionate, including physical affection. It's remarked multiple times throughout the books uh, that he is like slightly abnormally physically affectionate. He'll go up and hug his aunt when she comes and has a much more kind of just close, intimate relationship with people uh, and definitely is also linked back to his mother. So I find Adolin and Dalinar's relationship so interesting because there are similarities and they have this kind of bond through the military, but they're also uniquely individual people that learns and grows from the other. I love... Yeah, that's what I was just going to say as well. To go back to your kind of earlier point that Adolin sees a lot of things differently than Dalinar does, I do think that throughout the course of the three books that we have, he does start to see the wisdom of those principles of the way of kings that, you know, Dalinar has been trying to enforce. And and then conversely, you know, Dalinar softens a little bit yes. because of Adolin's influence. And so I like that in their relationship, the way it's depicted... I think it's like pretty true to life for a lot of parent-child relationships where there are places of struggle and disagreement, um, but, you know, they stay civil and they learn from each other and they, they kind of learn and grow and compromise as they, as they go on. Yeah, overall, I would say it's a, a relatively healthy relationship. Uh, you know, it's certainly not as bad as some parental relationships yeah. we see throughout the Cosmere. So it's like pretty good. You got to kind of soften that aspect because it is like a war society. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if it, I'd want to be in that relationship, but it's like overall a fairly strong relationship. And I'm very excited to see how it continues to develop and how these characters yeah. learn from each other. Yeah. Let's go to the forgotten son or Aww, the abandoned he's not son. Forgotten. He, not. He's definitely not. And Renarin is obviously super important to the greater Cosmere and the aspect of being a radiant that's not quite a radiant, a little corruption going on with Renarin and his spren. Like lots of interesting Ooh. stuff. Yeah, we don't know what's happening with Renarin. Exactly. But, <laughs> but what we do know is that Renarin is in many ways the opposite of Adolin in that he does not have that military link. And so they really have had to develop their relationship as two very separate individuals where like Adolin and Dalinar had a place to meet in the middle, kind of. Yeah. Renarin and Dalinar simply do not. And that separation runs deep with Renarin and Dalinar's... Yeah, he does always, especially in the first couple of books... He's like the third wheel sort mm -hmm. of in their family where Dalinar and Adolin have a lot in common that they can talk about and connect on. And Renarin is kind of always in the corner, in the shadows, in the background. He's just a very different person than his two closest family members. But I love that in Oathbringer, we get to see his relationship with Dalinar develop both forward and we see the flashbacks yes. of earlier parts of Renarin and Dalinar's relationship that kind of shed some light on where they're at today. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but something I thought was really cool in Oathbringer is the scene when I think Renarin is sitting in on like a meeting of scribes or something. Yeah. Um, and he's like on this journey to like figure out what his place is and like what he's good at and what he can contribute because they've finally gotten to the place where they're like, okay, clearly you're not a military person and like accepting that and then allowing him to pursue the things that he is good at. And Dalinar shows up um, in that meeting to just like quietly sit in the corner and support his son. And it's so beautiful. Because it's normally associated with ardents or mainly women. Yeah. Women are running these meetings and it's very odd that any man who is not an ardent. Especially, yeah, a nobleman. But a nobleman and a, a person who, you know, kind of casually known as like oh he's the warlord's son like he's obviously a warrior side and we're the educational uh research side and we don't cross uh but then you also add in the male female thing and it just becomes renarn's very out of place and he's always been out of place in many respects but dalinar not comes to his aid but is there to support his son and that's really really nice it's a very powerful moment and gives us insight what I always find interesting is those flashbacks when we learn just how deep the division was between Renarin and Dalinar because Dalinar is not present for the birth of Renarin. He's off on campaign and doesn't return until weeks, uh, maybe even a couple months after Renarin is born. And he is like pretty distracted during that point in time, if I remember correctly. Like, you know, Adolin's his first son, so he's like kind of excited about it. And Renarin, he just has like a bunch of other stuff going on. He's not really paying attention to this new son he has coming. So much so that he has no say in the name of Renarin. That name is chosen by Evie. And because she's an outsider who didn't naturally speak the language, she kind of mistakenly for a Lethe standards. It's but such it's, a sweet yeah. thing. She like tries so hard to give him an Alethi name and she just like totally butchers it. And it's like a clumsy combination of Alethi like roots and stems and pieces of her own language. Yeah. And what it ends up doing is just like alienating Dalinar. He he immediately kind of reacts negatively to hearing Renarin's name, almost like that's so stupid or that doesn't make sense. Yeah, like it just sounds awful to yeah, his ear. Exactly. And so just from his very name, imagine, you know, talking to your son and every time you say his name, just being like, that's kind of stupid. Like it, just in the back, it's just like a little light bulb goes off. Like it doesn't work. And I feel like that light bulb went off so much for Dalinar that there was this huge division. And then you add in the horrific part of their story where Dalinar is going to be driven to the depths of his depression um, after killing Evie in his rage. fact that Dalinar kills his own wife and then is basically constantly reminded of this by that name, by the name, like, Renarin is said to be more yeah, like his it's mother. it's just a reminder of his dead wife. Exactly. And so, like, you have all of these things that just represented division between Renarin and Dalinar, but then when Dalinar is at his lowest point, 
it is Renarin, not Adolin, that is actually the catalyst for his change that pushes him towards the path of the way of the kings. That moment when in the flashback we see Renarin is a little boy. He's probably like 10 or something. He's not even a teenager yet. Um, he shows up when Dalinar's having one of his fits of rage because he's drinking, drinking? Drunken? He's drunken. All <laughs> of the alcohol in the entire castle, or they have like, some people put it away so he can't find it anymore because he's just such a drunk. Um, and then Renarin shows up with this like little vial of alcohol because he's like trying to be nice to his dad. Yeah. And then Dalinar has that moment when he like realizes and he just gets hit by the reality of like what is happening and like where he is and like that he has like kind of failed his children and he's failing himself. And then that really that, you know, it's his rock bottom. Yeah. But it's Renarin that is there to like remind him what the purpose of going forward is, what the purpose of that and next step is. I wonder like if some of the distance that we see between Dalinar and Renarin in especially the earlier books is like avoidance because Renarin has seen Dalinar at like his lowest lowest I mean you know that's a good point like when someone sees you in that place like there can definitely be some avoidance you, you don't yeah. really want to see that person again because you know that they know you know yes it's you're very vulnerable and then when someone else sees that vulnerability yeah it's like they have the window into your soul exactly and you know it's you can't pretend around them yeah it's the reason why like long-term relationships you can always hurt each other so badly yeah. because you can go right to their weak spots because you know all their weak spots. And maybe that is what happened in some part. But obviously Dalinar is appreciative and like respects and loves his sons yeah. um, and definitely works to improve those relationships from that low point, from that moment of vulnerability. I think, um, I mean, we talked about Dalinar and Navani last episode, but I think that his relationship with Navani kind of helps him with that too, because she is sort of similar to Adolin, even though she's a lethe, she has a little bit more um, ease expressing emotion and she kind of encourages Dalinar to soften. And then, in Oathbringer, I think we see a lot of that of Dalinar softening towards his sons and being a little bit more supportive and accepting them as they are. I think what is always fascinating, just another example of how great Brandon is as a writer and setting all of this up, what Renarin always did for Dalinar, or what it seems like he always did from my perspective, is that he reminded Dalinar or showed Dalinar the truth of who he is. When Dalinar was at his lowest point, it was mm, Renarin. Truth watcher. And that's it. That, so his <laughs> radiant class is as truth watcher. And it always seems to me that like just by his name, just Renarin, like that name would act as a reminder to Dalinar, a reminder about his wife, a reminder about her death, a reminder about what Dalinar did, showing him the truth. And he can't get away from it. He can't hide from that truth. Uh, and then also in his low point, showing him the truth of how low he was. Uh, and he didn't do it purposefully. He's not like a master wizard yet. Uh, but he is certainly doing the thing that he was kind of destined to do, even in these flashbacks. And that's what I love so much about Brandon Sanderson and this structure that he has set up with these flashbacks built in is like, 
we know that each of those flashbacks is hugely significant and is giving huge amounts of plot details and they're so fascinating because they are bringing it back into the main plot because Renarn was always a truth watcher. Renarn always showed people mm. the truth. Like that's what he always yeah, did. Yeah, there's good good continuity in the writing, which is pretty incredible considering the length and yeah. breadth of these books. Exactly. We're on like 3,000 plus pages of Stormlight Archive and it all seems to be making a lot of sense and like feeling very, very good. So that is the first one, probably the longest relationship we'll talk about. But let's go to the that next one. was like one. two and one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next up on our list, we have Kelsier and Vin. So hopping over to Scadriel, I feel like this is kind of the quintessential like mentor relationship. Well, you definitely have, as Brandon so often does, you have his play on the quintessential relationship because True. Vin and Kelsier many people's first exposure to Brandon's writing in Mistborn. It's a great, super fun relationship. You have these two super-powered individuals. One is teaching the other. There's like a couple of chapters where it's just like Vin's learning cool stuff from Kelsier and she's learning cool stuff from all the other people in the gang and Kelsier's making moves and he's like giving speeches and like everything is just kind of like exciting and it's you know he's so good at writing uh action that like those are huge just fun chapters to go through what i find so interesting about kelsier and vin's relationship is how much it develops and changes and how incredibly complex it is it's not just like that early book early in book one it almost kind of felt like Kelsier was the cool older brother that Vin didn't have. Instead, she got the kind of lame older brother. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Kelsier's character, especially when you're first introduced to him, like he's definitely the roguish, charismatic, um, you know, inspirational guy, but with like, you know, rakish charm. Yeah. <laughs> um, just just enough of a, the dark streak to just keep yeah, you interested. Yeah, exactly. And, and then Vin kind of serves as a window into some of his more deep character um, traits. Could we venture as far to say flaws, his character flaws? Because <laughs> I, I feel like it is through Vin and the juxtaposition that Vin presents that we see the the darkness more clearly in Kelsey. Yeah, and the downsides of his possession. Yeah. I mean, Vin is one of the first kind of to challenge Kelsier's idea about killing all the nobles or that nobles are, you know, just kind of fodder. And she obviously falls in love and marries uh, a noble, the nobliest of nobles. But it's deeper than that. It's a, a recognition of always for Vin, always being treated so poorly, always being on the outskirts of society, that she has kind of more of a utilitarian or like equal view of everyone, where it's kind of, she's almost kind of like, we're all people. Uh, yeah. And Vin's like, or excuse me, Kelsier is like, there are clear class divides. Yeah, well, I mean, they are two sides of the coin, right? And I mm -hmm. think we see both of those sides in our world here on earth as well where people who have been oppressed for a long time you kind of go one of two ways either it 
opens your eyes and it makes you think you never want anyone to be oppressed like you were ever again because you didn't like it and, you know, no human should be treated that way. Or you want to destroy everyone who has oppressed you. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think that Brandon has confirmed this, but Kelsier is not like many of the other uh, kind of heroes. He always kind of like hedges when people call Kelsey our hero. He's like, yeah. he's he's a little psychotic. Like yeah. he, he's been broken real bad and he's like not fixed. Where- and I think we keep getting little intimations about that too, where like sometimes I kind of wonder if he, if Kelsier is a psychopath. Like full on. Yeah, like if he psych- really yeah. can feel connections because i mean people have kind of asked and i don't think that brandon's ever like straight up said but he's kind of like hedged around this idea but i definitely think that you know if we're talking about it in the cosmere perspective we have the physical the cognitive and the spiritual realm like kelsier was broken in the exact ways that like affect his empathy like he doesn't have a lot more maybe he's still got a little bit and he's not like a full-on psychopath but his spiritual web was kind of rewritten to be less empathetic. And that was his survival mechanism to get through the pits and the death of his wife and all that stuff. But I think that overall, what is so interesting is that Kelsier and Vin's relationship keeps changing even after Kelsier dies because of his, now we know through Mistborn Secret History Mm -hmm. and the Mistborn Era 2, Kelsier's cognitive shadow continues it is still growing and learning and making decisions and i would say like changing like yeah it's not but i think best kelsier is post-death kelsier (laughs) he like that's honestly when he like changes and grows the most i guess kind of uh being trapped in a eternal nothingness that you don't really understand or control as much (laughs) and kelsier being like very much a person who like needs to control or wants to control uh it can have some psychological change you know it can force some psychological change and those are moments when he really truly does give mostly selflessly Mm -hmm. to vin and like to the cause and things like that where it is i think coming from like a more empathetic place it does seem that, and there's complexities and we don't completely know what exactly is going on. But from my perspective, Kelsier's cognitive shadow may, and kind of spiritual link, because his physical body has been lost. He's not really Kelsier as we knew him anymore. But maybe it was that physical body, that physical side that was inhibiting or being the anchor because it was in the physical realm where he was so tortured. That's interesting. And so once he lost that physical realm aspect, that side, then the spiritual and the cognitive could start to change and grow and maybe get better. Yeah, because even like his physical body was covered in scars, right? So like a constant reminder of everything that he had been through, of all of the oppressions that had been, you know, hoisted upon him. And so when he loses that, he has the ability to kind of take on a new identity and become a new version of himself. I think that's... That's so a, smart. Well, that's a beautiful idea, but I want to hedge a little bit because remember, <laughs> when he, I don't know if he has the scars when he's in Mistborn Secret History, but remember, it is the scars that are 
the giveaway at the end of Mistborn Era 2, um, where we are reminded that Kelsier is back on Earth as, like, uh, the death of the Southern people, like, the kind of person oh. that moves through the South, that we think is the Lord Ruler, the entire, like, first book. Right, that's at, what they're calling him. Yeah, and, but the at the very end, uh, yeah, he's but if the you're survivor. Like, like, if you're a post-death entity can't you reform your physical body however you want to okay so that's what i'm saying he reformed his physical body and put the scar or like thought they were such an important aspect well they're identifying yeah Yeah. and so it is like etched into his cognitive and spiritual self these scars from the pits true true like kelsier i don't think can be kelsier at all without those scars and he carries that over i think to multiple bodies is what we've discovered like that's oh how gosh. intense it is we're getting really deep <laughs> oh man i love the cosmos so much okay so obviously that's the really complex angle but just to kind of keep it on their relationship it's so nice to see the growth and change over the series when you go from that kind of like brother mentor uh to hero and someone that vin kind of idolizes but then vin grows up a little bit and realizes the flaws in kelsier and how she wants to be different and once again we have an example of this relationship making each of the characters better improving them and sending them on a more important path or a I mean, I path. do think they affect each other. Kelsier definitely has a huge footprint in who Vin becomes. But do you think that Vin really changes Kelsier? I do in After Death. Like, okay, I, okay. I think that it is sure. his relationship yeah, with Vin that allows him to change. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that as we are better exposed to kelsier in mistborn era 2 you know we might find out what that means or what decisions he's made but he we know he he died and then refused to leave uh and now has forced himself back on to into the physical realm on scadriel like this dude is the survivor in a way that's like so annoying <laughs> no it's the, it's definitely annoying it, but then on the other hand it's like really impressive you're like wow this guy has a lot of endurance i I thought that was an interesting thing and i I think that kelsey and vin's relationship is over and it's complete as far as we know unless we get kind of like flashback stuff but it's definitely one of the quintessential ones in the cosmere next up we have vasher and vavena hopping over to nalthus for one of our favorite relationships and one of the most important relationships in the Cosmere. So interesting. We have a fascinating look at Vasher and Vena's relationship because we have the beginning and we have the present or, you know, we have part of the end, but we don't know what is in the middle. What happens in between. And that is obviously going to be sequel to Warbreaker, uh, possibly in its own kind of Mistborn secret history, but like Nalthus secret history or like what's going on with Vasher and Vivenna. I need to side stories just about them because somehow Vasher and Vivenna have one of the most unique and world hopping relationships we've been exposed to so far. They are people that are introduced as complete strangers. Princess of Idris and 
renowned, godlike five scholar from Nalthus. <laughs> like, they have no real connection. I suppose technically she is kind of like related to Vasher in like a descendant type of way because she has the royal lineage and can change it. And she's it. like one of the first returned or something. Yeah, so yeah. there is definitely uh, a connect. But overall, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> they are introduced as strangers and then they have m- adventures and learn magic from one another and develop to the point where they go world hopping. Do they become part of the 17th Shard? Are well, they fighting the 17th Shard? There's so much going on in their relationship that I want to know. Yeah, their relationship is so interesting because they do start off in such completely different places. He is a return. He's been around for whatever, like thousands of years. Maybe I not think it's that like, long. I think it's like 300. It's a while. Yeah. He's pretty old. Um, and Vivenna is, you know, the perfect princess of Idris. She's very um, calm and collected and unassuming and devout. Um And, you know, so they come from these completely different worlds, completely different places. He's much older than she is. And something I think is kind of cool about Vasher is I think he is one of those people who's a teacher just by nature um, because he is always a little bit grumpy about being a teacher to people, but he keeps finding himself in places of instruction and he's clearly like a natural at it. Yeah, he was very like dismissive of Vivenna when they first met and had his own things going on, wasn't really interested in her. But eventually he takes on this mentorship role with Vivenna and we know that he gets to Rashar and is acting as the sword master. Sword master is the hell. Also super grumpy, <laughs> but he keeps showing up to teach these people. Yeah, so he does definitely have that instinct to be a mentor, to be a teacher and probably because he's super awesome with the sword, uh, to help people become, you know, better fighters and warriors. And we know that... And he has such a good understanding of investiture. He is certainly, as a member of the Five Scholars, the only... No, no, sorry. Maybe now, because we think Vivenna slash Azure has a new Nightblood, Nightblood 2.0. But previously, he was the only person to really master the art of awakening to the point of awakening steel and giving it this personality of nightblood um you know so he definitely understands investiture and he's a world hopper and wasn't there something about nightblood being a copy of risharian sharp there's a word of brandon indicating that nightblood was inspired by the shard blades on Rashar. So we don't know if Vasher world hopped to like get that idea or if like maybe Hoyd brought the idea to him in some way, but in some way he has been exposed to the greater Cosmere by the time we see him in Warbreaker. Warbreaker. I was like, Way of Kings, Words of Radiance. It's a W. I don't know. When it comes to Vasher and Vivenna's relationship, it's definitely a mentorship first. But then something happens, and it's kind of like in moments of Warbreaker, you get kind of like a little bit of just a... Is, banter. Yeah, a just little a, a little witty banter, a little and back forth. and forth. Uh, and, you know, they, there is a huge age difference, so I don't know if this is appropriate, but <laughs> they definitely have like chemistry. And that chemistry... Yeah. 
were left hanging, which is like... Especially because at the end of Warbreaker, there's like the last scene, they like walk off into the sunset together and are like all buddy-buddy like friends going on an adventure. And then it just ends and I... It just like leaves the impression that there might be a little something extra there. We don't know if this is from a mentorship relationship to a romantic relationship. We do know that by the time we see and catch up with Vivenna slash Azure in Oathbreaker, we have a very different Vivenna, a much more mature, more knowledgeable, and more kind of world-weary or multiple world-wearies. She is a person that has kind of seen a lot more, and I'm wondering how much of that happened because of and with Vasher by her side. Yeah, absolutely. Because by the time we see her in Oathbringer, she is basically a completely different person. Like, she is so confident and self-assured, and she's a warrior, which is, like, literally the opposite from Vivenna when we first meet her. So it does make you wonder everything that happened potentially with Vasher in between these two stories. And then the other interesting thing is that she explicitly says, doesn't doesn't she, that she's looking for Vasher? Yes. Because she says, I think she says she's looking for her old sword master, but mm, we know who that is. I think that there's a couple of fascinating little hints, but Brandon doesn't quite say exactly what her interests are. Is she a person that's hunting Vasher because he's like broken some crime or broken some law? Is she interested in rescuing Vasher from something else? Yeah, it's very confusing why exactly she's looking for him because she doesn't seem like super happy. Like she's real serious about it. Yeah, and so (sighs) I got the vibe and this was just kind of like, it's not directly said, so I could totally be wrong. I am probably wrong. But I got the vibe that there was like a reluctant savior type thing going on like she was coming to help or aid vasher in some way but she was really really angry about it so to me that oh you freaking idiot yeah i have to show up on this planet i have to save your butt i kind of felt like there was a little bit of like scorned lover type thing so that to me was like they had a relationship they had adventures and then something goes wrong and Vasher pieces out to a different planet. I mean, yeah, somehow they get separated. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm saying that part, the separation happened by choice, maybe at the end of their romantic relationship. Uh, but then Vivenna is convinced to go aid Vasher in some way. I could be wrong and that she's actually like hunting him to like slice his head off. Yeah, because like that's the other option is yeah. that she's like hella pissed at him (laughs) and there's a vibe of just like i'm going to kill him but she doesn't say that but there's a vibe like a little bit yeah it kind of bounces back and forth in my head i was like is she gonna kill him or is she gonna but then it also like doesn't seem that serious it's very interesting if you have thoughts about where vasher and vivenna or like the reason for vasher and vivenna's relationship by the time we get let's get some fan fiction tell us your vasher vivenna in between stories. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's perfect. Excellent. Write it on the boards, peeps. We'll be watching. Nobody goes to message boards anymore. <laughs> so I'm excited to see where that goes. Help us out, people, with your own ideas and your fan fiction. Let's go to the next one because this is a fascinating relationship. Hoyd and Shalon. Mentorship? 
friends? Besties? Friends. No, no. Dang it. I, won't I don't get... think Hoyt is capable of having friends. No, he's beyond that point. And... I guess Frost, maybe. But even they nah. have like a weird relationship. That's in The Traveler, a very, very short essay that Brandon wrote. Very easy to read. And we did. And the letters and the epigraphs. Yes, we do know that. And Hoyt and Shallan have a relationship that became so much more potent in Oathbringer, with those flashbacks and with those moments of weakness and low points, Hoyd arrived to help Shallan, and then we realize Hoyd's been in Shallan's life a lot and doing a lot of important things. Yeah, it is tempting to look at Oathbringer and think about that as kind of the basis of this relationship because they do have a lot. They spend a lot of time together in Oathbringer, but then you remember that he has been showing up in Shallan's life since she was a young girl, possibly because she was the first new Knights Radiant to bond with his friend. And so obviously Hoyt always has his own agenda for doing things. He's not just a nice, helpful person, but he has helped Shallan a lot throughout her development. I think there is something, and this is just my guess, but I do think it's something other than just Radiant this. I think it has something to do with the fact that Hoyd and Shallan are very, very similar as people. Hoyd sees something in Shallan that he recognizes in himself. I point to evidence in the form of they are in the same radiant class or classification, True. radiant order. Uh, they are both light weavers. And we know that light weaving is very similar to his original kind of investiture from Yolin. Which he seemed to use multiple times in Warbreaker and uh, in the Stormlight Archive, but one of the most interesting was in Oathbringer when he was with Shallan, and he seemed to give her kind of powers a boost. And it wasn't just like he was light weaving on top of her light weaving. It was like he did something to make her light weaving better. And for me... That was the Yolin power uh, that Hoyd, we at least believe, is his original uh, mastery of investiture. But on just a more basic level, Hoyd's an actor. Hoyd plays many, many different characters throughout many, many different stories (laughs) and lots and lots of time and wears many faces and many names, including the name Hoyd. As does Shallan. As does Shallan. And so I see this mentorship almost is one of the most direct and maybe one of the most purposeful mm-hmm. mentorships mm-hmm. where Vasher and Vivenna kind of end up together and yeah. maybe didn't necessarily plan it. There's a possibility that Hoyd planned this mentorship for a long period of time because he's always... I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. I think he really has that in his personality. I think it may be that, you know, he started out interacting with her for his own interests and then he kind of just keeps coming back because there's something about her that, like you said, he identifies with or, you know, relates to. But it's so interesting in Oathbringer, we, Shallan gives us a window into so much more of Hoyd's, like, inner story. She's the one that he really opens up to more than anyone else we've ever seen. And it's not like other people didn't want him to open up. Dalinar asked him to. 
Kaladin asked him to. Like we saw in those moments, and Hoyd basically just shut him down, and especially Dalinar. Yeah. That like one super harsh scene when he's just like, "I'm not your friend." Well, but with Shallan, he's like softer and and kind of more has a more intimate relationship. He is, but he also just like. I feel like you kind of see the walls fall down a little bit more when he's talking to Shallan. He still has some harsh moments with her of being like, hey, don't get it twisted. Yeah. Um, Which he does with Dalinar. And I think that is like a moment of true Hoyd. But Shallan gets more and deeper into those walls coming down. Yeah. It's almost like you could imagine what happens when two really, really skilled actors get in the same room together and possibly i'm just this is a hypothetical now but just like the idea of i can see through your bullshit and i'm going to cut it away a tiny bit better than other people not necessarily to its core but like i might be a more skilled what was that idea oh it was uh (laughs) i'm going off on so many tangents but like robin joseph gordon levitt in the christopher nolan batman movies he like calls out batman and he was like i looked at you and i like saw in your eyes like the same thing that i had that you like and he he could tell that he was batman basically because they had the same background they were both orphans and he like knew that bruce wayne was batman i feel like that's what could kind of be going on that like shallan is able to get a little bit deeper with hoyd because for whatever reason they're just kind of like similar people One thing that is very interesting is that Hoyd is a basically unkillable character and Shallan is going to be hugely significant to the next couple of Stormlight books. So I imagine we'll be getting more Hoyd and Shallan (laughs) and I want more Hoyd and Shallan and I really want their like combined superpower thing to happen all the time. It is an interesting and obviously very Cosmere significant relationship, but let's go more personal. Because I think that this next relationship is probably like one of the most authentic and maybe normal relationships, like not superpowers or not someone. That's true. It's That's just true. We have Kaladin and Liren, his father, who do have, I would say, a pretty normal parental relationship where uh, Liren obviously grooms Kaladin from a very young age to become a surgeon just like him. Um, Kaladin helps him in his surgery room and learns how to be a doctor. And Liren has a really intense, formative impression on Kaladin that Kaladin carries with him, we see like pretty significantly throughout his life. Yeah, absolutely. It is the defining relationship for Kaladin because in many respects, it's the only real relationship that he had or the the kind of most deep and intense relationship that he had before his life in the military and so many things begin to go badly for him well and even his military life is kind of defined by his father because yeah he always had this push and pull of healing and Liren wanting him to be a healer and Kaladin always feels the the call to heal as well but he also feels a call to protect and to fight and they have this philosophical difference between healing and fighting and can you you know fight to protect someone or do you have to choose one or the other and Liren very clearly says to Kaladin you can't both protect people and kill people it doesn't work out 
And what we see with the development of Kaladin is kind of like he comes to terms with his mentality and his philosophy. He's like, I can kill to protect. My father was wrong. And then he goes on and starts to break down. And he has those moments in Oathbringer, so sad, so so powerful when he's watching all of his friends all of the people that he feels are kind of in the same situation or that he can relate to all of them and they're all fighting and they're all killing each other and elicard dies and everything is awful and he feels like you know i was wrong my father was right kind of in the idea that like so he has to keep resetting based on this original relationship with Liren which yeah, I feel it's is interesting to watch him keep coming back to the same question mm-hmm. and have a different perspective on it as he ages because yes. I think that is something that probably most of us can yeah, relate that's... to of like these central conflicts or themes in our own personal lives that we continue to return to over and over again over the years that look different you know as you become a different person as you age and go through life so i think that aspect that brandon writes into this father-son relationship is just so beautiful and intricate and nuanced and that's what to me makes it one of the most authentic relationships because it is a little bit stripped bare of any of the magic stuff and just kind of like how do children relate to their parents yeah and, and then the how does parents yes, on their children as they become adults yes as like what we're basically watching kaladin like grow up because we do get him as like a young person mm-hmm. and see his kind of emotion and his development throughout his entire life and for all of us for for everyone who is on this crazy journey that we call life uh that's a real thing that happens you're raised by someone whoever Um, And that person bestows upon you good or bad facets of themselves. Things that you take with you. Yeah. And people either adopt, you know, their parental ideas wholeheartedly and basically become like miniature versions of their parents. (laughs) Um, People reject their parents. People love their parents, but then look at certain aspects and are like, I don't like that. I don't like that. Like Adolin and Dalinar, right? Like he takes a lot of the aspects and then there's some things that he's like, twist it. Yeah not sure about that one exactly so i find kaladin and lyrans and the way like you said that he keeps returning to the messages of his father and the lessons of his father and he comes with a different perspective and a different mindset i find that such an authentic version of a parental relationship yeah and even though we don't see a lot of lyran in Words of Radiance and, you know, kind of in the middle section, we kind of feel like we do because that relationship continues to develop as Kaladin is bringing it with him. Yeah, it's ever-present. And and I think that that's the way it will continue in the future. Like, I don't yeah. think that we're going to get a bunch of moments when Kaladin's rushing back to Hearthstone to be like, what up, fam? Like, <laughs> I think we got the one, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen again. Or uh, I could see there being at least one more. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and that's possible. But uh, I'm just saying, like, I think the way that this relationship will continue to develop is like kind of through the flashbacks or through this uh, voice in your head, uh, voice in Kaladin's head. Yeah. And that is interesting because it's real and it's honest. And it also is something that we all kind of do every day. And that's why I find this relationship so interesting 
Let's move on to our next and last pairing. One of the most fun, I think, we have Light Song and Scoot. Scoot, just his nickname, given to him by Light Song, because obviously a returned god <laughs> cannot use someone's proper name. He has to give a nickname to his own high priest. But Larimar, is that how we would say it? Larimar? Yeah, I've been saying Larimar. I also like to pronounce it in sort of a Welsh fashion. Ooh. Larimar. Oh, nice. The Welsh people are not going to be happy <laughs> Just because it's that. fun because there's a double L at the beginning. <laughs> but Larimar is Light Song's high priest, and their relationship is kind of a straightforward mentorship one, where Larimar seems to be just helping Light Song be a god. What we discover, and I think it's one of like one of the best twists, and it's not the main twist of this book. Like there are probably three or four twists in Warbreaker. Yeah, and this is not the main one, but it's such a good twist, such a good it's one of those things that once you find out, you have to go back and reread the book because it's so meaningful to discover. Yeah, once you know that Light Song and Scoot were brothers in the past, well, Light Song's past life. Which Larmar is unable to disclose. Like, it's against the religion, against all practices. He can't, he even takes on a fake name. Or is it is that his real name? Larmar. That's his real name. Okay, cool. But Light Song doesn't know that Larmar, because he has is all his, his brother. Yeah, exactly. So he has all that. So he calls him Scoot and their brothers, I believe what happened was they were on a ship traveling somewhere and Larmar's daughter, Light Song's niece, is thrown overboard in a storm. And Light Song dives in with like one of those flotation devices or something. But basically, yeah, he has like a safety line. Yeah. And he attaches it to his niece and just allows himself to drown. And basically. that is the death that becomes his return to catalyst. Like he becomes yeah. a, a return because of that. And Larimar, witnessing the sacrifice of his brother, witnessing his brother's death, and then return yeah returning uh as a god larimar volunteers to be his high priest as like repayment of the debt about just well and to even more like complicate it larimar prior to this had been questioning his religion and was like really struggling with whether he believed in this whole thing and then his brother comes back as a return and so after that he's like all in, you know, totally 100% believes and his brother is the reason that he believes and he has faith and his brother is like the worst god ever because his brother is like, "Mm, I don't really think I'm like really a god. Like this whole thing is a little bit hokey. Yeah, I mean, he questions a lot of stuff and we as a reader, or at least I as a reader, definitely like was questioning it with Light Song. Like they were- He has a lot of great points. Yeah, exactly. You know, super intensive about the breakfast that he had or what he, small remarks he made about a painting and Larmer's jotting it all down. of his like right to exist when he is a parasite on the regular people. Because he has to, even though he has a returned breath uh, that gives him all his magic powers, he needs to continually have breaths once a week or once a day. 
think, think once a week. I think it's once a week. But he has to continually have breaths that someone else gives up. And that's like, yeah, kind of a parasite is a perfect way. He is a parasite and he notices that or recognizes that in the realm of the gods. In that way, they kind of have like a mutual mentoring relationship if you think about it because Larmar is mentoring Light Song to like be better at being a god. He kind of parents him into this new life of like teaching him how to be who he is now and like teaching him about the world that they live in. But then Light Song also kind of mentors Larimar to open his eyes a little bit and to keep him grounded in what is actually happening and to keep those like difficult questions going on because we obviously know that the court of the gods is not a all great place where everyone is doing the right thing all the time like there is a lot to question and a lot going wrong and we you know we eventually realize a, a plot to kill the god king and all this like crazy stuff like that being truly devout maybe blinded some people or made some people overlook things and light song calls attention to that and then it is what I love about this relationship between Lightsong and Scoot is that as they go back and forth, there is this kind of like continual question of why does Scoot keep putting up with it? Like, is he just that devout that he just kind of deals with us all the time? And you kind of start to feel bad for Scoot a well, little bit. <laughs> and like the way that he answers some of Lightsong's questions, like you can tell there's like something behind what he is saying. And the reveal huh. is so emotional and it, it, it strikes all the right chords. It's just like because of Light Song's sacrifice, he gave his brother not only his child, uh, but he gave his brother a religion and a belief to like build his life around. And then Scoot gives so much back and it's just like, give, 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 give. Yeah. And you're like, Light Song, you're not worthy. This guy's like way too nice for you. <laughs> um, and then the, like the whole point is obviously that like Light Song is worthy. He yeah. is Aww. the person that like his brother imagines him to be. And then as soon as he realizes that is when Light Song has his own catalyst and transformation and when he sacrifices himself again, this time for the God King. And we have this kind of just like beautiful play back and forth between it, it's jovial, it's light. It's not, you know, a sad relationship at all. Yeah. But when you look at it from kind of the bird's eye view and, and back off a little bit, it's just one of the most beautiful examples of like brotherhood. It's and really beautiful. Like a just shared partnership and a give and take a back and forth. Like you picked me up when I was weak when his daughter was in danger, when he was down on his own religion and his own beliefs. Light Song gave so much in that moment. And then Scoot gives so much back when Light Song is weak and questioning. And it's like, they they it's a perfect example of a relationship where both sides benefit and both sides kind of improve themselves through the relationship. It's really great. And it's such a sm relatively small part of Warwick. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is 
going to be a wrap for today. Uh, Next week, we have our third and final episode of this relationships series coming out. It will be focused on friendships throughout the Cosmere. So make sure you comment and message us. Let us know if there are any specific friendships you'd like to listen to us talk about. I think that It has been so great to explore these relationships, and we've been getting a lot of feedback on different ideas about podcasts in general or just like topics for episodes in general. Ooh, yeah. Any other episode requests, hit us up. Yeah, because they're basically the fans are making me want to reread all of the Cosmere books again. We're definitely going to do a reread. Yeah, but it's. Cosmere drought season and like in the drought you should probably go back to the well the well (laughs) of the Cosmere I think that there's a lot of material out there obviously and it's just nice to kind of like have feedback about which direction you'd like us to go so continue to comment on this series about relationships and friendships next week but also just in general hit us up with any ideas that you got for episodes or anything that you'd like us to talk more in depth about Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.